0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Derek and Sharon Gilbert are back, continuing to reveal the details on the War of the Gods. And then a little later, Greg Patton and Ken Copley will share biblical insight into a common problem all believers face. Meeting the mission, that's our special effort to match the $1 million gift SWRC has been blessed with. That means when you give to Southwest Radio Ministries, your gift will be matched. You will double your impact and ensure that Watchmen on the Wall and all of our ministries will be able to bring clarity to the chaos for many years to come. Friends, would you consider giving $90 in recognition of our 90th anniversary this year? Your support will be doubled and go toward meeting the match. 1-800-652-1144. That's the number to call and show your support for SWRC. You can also be a part of the match by giving on our website, supportswrc.com. 1-800-652-1144. Online, supportswrc.com. And to give by way of your mobile device, simply text 9490. That's 90 FOR90 to Thank you for your support of Watchmen on the Wall and Southwest Radio Ministries. Now, here's our host, Dr. Larry Sparjamino, with today's guests, Derek and Sharon Gilbert.
1: Jared and Derek, so nice to have you back on the show. What about the baptism of Jesus, and how does all of this connect to what we were just speaking about in our previous program?
2: Contrary to what we've been taught, and I hate to contradict the United Nations, um, (laughs) not really, they they sanctioned a location, sort of a traditional site for the, the baptismal site of Jesus. It's near Jericho on the Jordan side of the river. This was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2015. The kingdom of Jordan, God bless them, is spending a lot of money to turn it into a tourist location. And we don't begrudge the kingdom of Jordan that because, honestly, other than potash and gravel, they don't have much in the way of natural resources. (laughs) We just returned from a couple of days in Jordan. We found the people there to be absolutely friendly. mm -hmm. The food is amazing in Mm -hmm. Jordan. So God bless them for doing what they can to draw more tourists because they do have some incredible tourist sites there and much biblical history took place east of the Jordan River. But To quote Sala from the movie Indiana Jones, they're digging in the wrong place. Hmm. We don't get many geographic clues in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about the location of John the Baptist's ministry. It's usually just mentioned in passing, the Judean wilderness. And so we tend to assume that this is connected to the tribe of Judah's allotment or the kingdom of Judah, which is basically south and west of Jerusalem. But that's not how Judea was Viewed in the Roman mind, which is the first century AD, and that's when the Gospels were written. Judea was the entire region, which included everything up to Mount Hermon, basically the ancient kingdom of David and Solomon. So when we read in John chapter 1, where we get the most specific geographic clues of John the Baptist's ministry, that John was baptizing at a place called Bethany across the Jordan.
3: That's the big clue. That's
2: the big clue. People have been looking for 2,000 years for Bethany across the Jordan. Now, that phrase, across the Jordan, means east of the Jordan River. Mm-hmm. As early as the early 3rd century, the early church father, Origen, went looking in what was then called Palestina, and he couldn't find any place. named The only place in the whole area named Bethany is on the Mount of Olives, and obviously that's not across mm-hmm. the Jordan. That's just across the valley from the Temple Mount. He said that even though the best and oldest Greek manuscripts of the Gospel of John read Bethania, okay, translated Bethany, and it must be another place. So he said it must be this place called beth Abara, which is the site where the UNESCO has... In Jordan. Yeah, yeah, in Jordan. That's what the King James translation reads today, beth it means house of the crossing. But when you look at the other clues in John chapter 1, that doesn't fit, because we read in John chapter 1, verse 28, John baptizing at Bethany across the Jordan, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Well, one of those disciples who followed Jesus was Andrew. Now, Andrew was the brother of Peter, and he and Peter, along with John and James were partners in a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. That's 90 miles away from the baptismal site Mm -hmm. approved by the United Nations. Now, 90 miles today, that's a road trip for us. You get in the car, you're there in two hours, no big deal. But back in the day, that's like a four- or five-day walk.
3: Mm -hmm. Hard walk.
2: Hard walk through the terrain of ancient Israel and Jordan. So it's not likely that Andrew was following John if he was baptizing near Jericho and still working as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. It just does not work. In fact, when we read from verse 35 onward, verse 43, we read that Philip, Andrew, Peter, Nathanael, the first four disciples called, are from Bethsaida, which is a city that is north of the Sea of Galilee. So the geographic clues don't fit together. Because again, remember John is saying, John the Apostle, writing that the next day he saw Jesus, and the next day again, John was there with his disciples. The geographic clues don't fit. Well, in 1877, an explorer for the Palestine Exploration Fund put forth a solution. His name was Lieutenant Claude Condor, well-known explorer. Much of his work is still cited today by archaeologists. He wrote that the Greek word Bethania, was a transliteration of the Greek name Botania, which was Mm. the first century Greek name for the region of Bashan. Mm. Bashan across the Jordan, not Bethany across the Jordan. Bashan, the ancient kingdom of Og, north and east of the Sea of Galilee. The region literally means place of the serpent, believed to be the Mm. entrance to the netherworld. That's where Jesus was baptized. That's where he began his ministry, and that's where he declared war on these spirits of the giants destroyed in the flood, believed to be the spirits of the dead.
1: Well, that certainly is significant, and it fits in with so many other things that we've been talking about.
2: The region of Jesus' ministry, his baptism north of the Sea of Galilee, and by the way, one of the sites we visited was a site similar to Gilgal Rephaim, a megalithic structure made of concentric rings of stone around a central tumulus, which archaeologist Dr. Michael Freakman argues was an artificial cave or an artificial descent into the netherworld where a shaman or a priest of some sort would commune with the spirits of the dead. This second site is located half a mile from Bethsaida on the east bank of the Jordan River, about a mile north of the Sea of Galilee. There's little chance that Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, Philip, John the Baptist didn't know that this structure, this megalithic site was there on the east bank of the Jordan within half a mile of Bethsaida.
3: Because you couldn't miss it. It had high walls, and it was right on the edge of the cliff.
2: Right, Mm. overlooking the Jordan River. Wow. Now, here's the other clue. We go to Matthew chapter 4, and we read beginning at verse 12, Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Now, Capernaum's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, about a mile from Bethsaida, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And now Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 9, which is the prophecy that includes those famous lines, unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. Matthew quotes beginning at verse 15 of Matthew 4, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, that's the Roman road, the Via Maris, which went through the Hula Valley, which is that valley through which the Jordan River flows between Mount Hermon and the Sea of Galilee. Where all
3: the dolmens are.
2: Where all the dolmens are, yes. Dolmens surround this valley, more than 5,600, according to archaeologists. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan River. This Roman road would come up from Egypt along the Sea of Galilee up through this valley, and then it would cut to the northeast towards Damascus. So it would go across the Jordan River through the ancient land of Bashan, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So Isaiah was describing this region as Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, mm -hmm. And here's the money quote, Larry. Verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Mm. Matthew connects the move of Jesus to Capernaum in this ancient region called Bashan with this fulfillment, shining a light on the region and shadow of death.
3: Mm. And
2: again, that region includes this valley called the Hula Valley, significant in Canaanite mythology as the place where Baal wrestled the god of death. That, surrounded by these megalithic tombs and monuments to the dead, we believe that is literally the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus based his ministry there at the south end of that valley.
1: Wow. Well, friends, we are visiting with Sharon and Derek Gilbert, and we are offering two of their videos titled, War of the Gods, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. Volume 1 is titled, Search for the Titans, the Other, Who Were the Rephaim of the Bible? Now, if you're not familiar with these topics, these videos provide good instruction material for you. Filmed on site, You can see these places and our guests and the tours they were leading and hear the questions, the comments. Very, very good for for learning and for getting into it in great detail. Our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. Sharon and Derek, we were just talking about the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and what about the Gates of Hell? Aren't they in that same area?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Derek (laughs) and I are writing a nonfiction book about that very topic right now. You're good, Larry. We would contend that if you just look at physical locations, there are rumors and stories about gates of hell, if you want to call it that, all over the world. But, yes, what Jesus referred to, we believe, as the gates of hell, was at the foot of Mount Hermon, Mm. which is where he gave that talk.
2: Matthew chapter 16, Matthew again recording this very specific event, and a good friend of ours who actually did some of the excavations at the site of Banyas is what it's called today, mm-hmm. but in the ancient world it's called Caesarea Philippi, at the foot of Mount Hermon, not far from the ancient city of Dan. When you ask Dr. Judd Burton, why is all this stuff of the Nephilim and the Rephaim and the cult of the dead, why, dolmens why is all this significant, he says two words, Caesarea Philippi. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. So... When Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16, verse 13, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, God himself confirmed to Peter the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. And I tell you, you are Peter, and now Jesus engages in some wordplay. You are Petros, and on this rock, which in Greek is Petra, on this rock I will build my church. Well, they're standing at the foot of a 9,200-foot mountain that scholars refer to as the Semitic or the Canaanite Mount Olympus. This was where the pagan gods gathered to decree the fates of the land. And Jesus had brought his disciples there on a 30-mile hike from their base of operations at Capernaum, like a three-day walk specifically to this site that was known as a pilgrimage site were pagans. There was a temple to Emperor Caesar Augustus there. There was a temple to the god Pan there, a temple of Jupiter there. There was an Asclepion, which is a healing center dedicated to the demigod son of Apollo Asclepius. This was an evil place in the minds of observant religious Jews, and yet Jesus brought his disciples there specifically to say, on this rock, I will build my church. Hmm. And the gates of hell, which is this really big cave over here... Yeah, that everybody knows is the entrance to the netherworld. I mean, the first century Jewish historian Josephus wrote that no one had been able to lower a plumb line long enough to hit bottom. They believed it was literally a bottomless cave that entered the netherworld. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that was where Jesus specifically took his disciples way out of their way to make this declaration. Yes, I am the Messiah, but then in verse 20, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. But then after six days, Matthew 17 now, he took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And the only high mountain in that vicinity is Mount Hermon, which again was the headquarters of the Infernal Council, these pagan gods or fallen angels, if you prefer, who the pagans worshipped, and that's where Jesus was transfigured. Wow. I know the traditional site is Mount Table, further <laughs> south in Israel, but this is the location.
3: But that quite a sense. number of scholars believe that it's Mount Hermon, including right. the late Dr. Michael right. Heiser.
2: It was a specific mission to declare his divinity.
1: I'm thinking the words, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Gates are defensive, so isn't the picture here a picture of the church on the attack? In other words, we're not fleeing the gates are not chasing us. We are on the attack and crashing through.
3: It would be wonderful if the current church were on the attack, but sadly, <laughs> right. most of the current church are asleep. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I think the other thing
2: that's really interesting is the Greek word translated church, ecclesia, can also mean council or assembly.
3: Exactly. Because
2: what's at stake here in the broader supernatural war is control of the Mount of Assembly.
3: Well, and I think looking at the Divine Council concept, again, Dr. Heiser, the Infernal Council, as you and I love to call it, that had one of their bases at the top of Mount Hermon, that was El's Assembly. Mm -hmm. El, who is the Canaanite chief deity, the storm god, he called his council together. And I think what the Lord may have meant at that point was that his council And his authority would never, would never prevail against his divine counsel. Mm -hmm. Those of us in the Ecclesia, those of us who we see in the book of Revelation, we are sitting there in those 24 chairs, and we are called up. So we've got the elder brothers who are loyal, along with those of us who have been redeemed by his blood.
1: For most of recorded history, as I think of it, The gods were in every land and in every region. The Lord God attacked the gods of Egypt, and that doesn't mean the Lord was breaking a few statues. I think when it speaks about the gods of Egypt, it's speaking about real gods who are volitional, powerful beings. And then when I think of Jesus speaking about a house swept clean, the original demon leaves and then brings back seven other evil spirits, more evil than itself, Luke 11, And so, by and large, in our modern world, Jesus Christ and his word have been swept out of the house. The situation is even worse than it was before the incarnation. I think we are regressing into darkness, especially America. You know, we started, uh, at least people knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible was quoted. Where are we now? It doesn't look too good, does it?
3: It really doesn't, and I think, sadly, over the centuries, when jesus left us these wonderful words originally they caught fire all over we Mm. saw how quickly the church grew and then the enemy came in and began to dilute it and twist it and then sort of infiltrate it and now we have so de-supernaturalized the bible that most kids and even adults is like oh why would i want to read that that's so boring well it's not boring Because as Derek and I write over and over again, and again, our ministry and much of our work is based on Dr. Heiser's own work, the idea that there is a supernatural core to the Bible. It's from word one to the final word. There's supernatural warfare going on from beginning to end.
2: And again, Jesus pointed to all of this, and the significance of the beginning of his ministry being baptized in the region of Bashan, basing his ministry there in the region and shadow of death, and declaring his divinity at the base of the mountain that was known to be the home of the infernal council, if you will, and declaring that he would establish his assembly or his council on that rock. And then when he comes down the mountain, he sends out the 70 or the 72 ahead of him, which is a number that's very significant symbolically in the ancient Near East. That's a number that represented right. all of them, the complete set.
3: Immediately doing warfare with the other side.
2: Exactly. Mm, right. So Jesus pointed to all of this in Scripture. We've lost the supernatural context right. of the Bible in the modern church, which is why, as Sharon said, most of us think, oh, that's boring. No, no, this is the most exciting adventure, epic adventure novel ever written. Absolutely. Except that it's true.
3: <laughs>
0: War of the Gods, two-volume DVD set from Derek and Sharon Gilbert, is available today. Join Derek and Sharon Gilbert as they tour Israel, Jordan, and the mysterious megalithic towers of Sardinia. Order War of the Gods, two-DVD set, when you call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can visit our online resource center, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Dr. Greg Patton and Dr. Ken Copley join us now to discuss a problem we all face. It's the problem of anger.
4: Dr. Ken Copley, author of The Great Deceiver, which, by the way, is available at swrc.com, and I highly recommend this book, 1-800-652-1144. Dr. Ken Copley, we're going to talk about something that, well, I oftentimes ask my congregation here at the Cross, how many of you were angry this week? I'm amazed probably any given Sunday, 75% of the hands go up. That's probably a problem, right?
5: That is a tremendously big problem, absolutely, and among
4: Christians. And it can get worse. It goes from just the sin of anger, and some people, oh, road rage? I mean, it's a number of things Christian participates in. So help us out here a little bit.
5: Well, anger stems through when a person claims a right for themselves, and that right a sense is violated. They become angry. For instance, when I'm driving down the road, I think I've got a right to that piece of the road and someone cuts me off. I can choose to become angry. I can choose to pray for the person and say, you know what? I give up any right to that portion of that road. I see in society all kinds of anger. Matter of fact, in Minneapolis today, two police officers were shot to death. Some others were killed today. I think in our society, we just live on the edge of anger and rages, really a scourge on our culture. I've got some thoughts from the scriptures. It says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your mouth, neither give place, ground, or opportunity to the devil. The devil loves to really, really get a hold of a person's heart when they're angry. Now, Moses in the scriptures got angry when Pharaoh refused to release the Israelites for a time of worship. We find Jonah became angry when God changed his mind about destroying the wicked city of Nineveh. Also, we see that David got angry with the shepherd who stole his neighbor's pet lamb. Elisha was angry with the 40 youths who mocked him for being bald. Now, rightfully so, Jesus was angry with the merchants in the temple and drove them out. And Paul did write, be angry and sin not in your anger. Do not sin. Deal with it scripturally.
4: I was just thinking right now, we're seeming to be in a, an age right here. When I say an age, the last several weeks where people are going to a door, someone driving in the driveway, they're yes, getting shot. Yes. And I was watching on the evening news in a recent setting just like that, and the police chief actually said, there's something pushing people here. They're right at the edge. And whatever triggers that, they're already there. More than any time, I think, in our life, we're seeing anger as a major problem.
5: I believe it's demonically driven. I really believe that. And I believe people in our society or our culture, what we get in the media stirs up anger, but people are handling anger. Like in the scriptures, Moses was an angry man. He took anger out on the Egyptian slave master by killing him. He got angry with Pharaoh for rejecting God's command, even though God told Moses that Pharaoh would refuse it. Moses lacked self-confidence by claiming he was not a good speaker, despite God telling him what to say. He expressed his frustration by getting angry. I think we see through the scriptures that there was always, always consequences to anger. Jonah became angry when God said, go down to Nineveh and preach to perhaps the worst, bitter, miserable, murderous culture on earth at that time. And God says, go down and preach. Tell them I want them to repent. And so Jonah took off in the other direction on a ship and ended up in the belly of a large fish for three days and finally repented, went down, preached the shortest sermon in the world, gave 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the whole works of them, the whole city repented. And then Jonah became very, very angry because they repented. We've got to be real careful. I remember counseling a fellow, and he was a Christian, he said he had a horrible anger problem. He'd be driving down the road. Somebody would offend him, cut him off, make an obscene gesture. He said the next stoplight, he'd pull out in front of them, jump out of the car, beat on their windows, swear at them, challenge them to a fight. We don't live that way. The scripture says in Proverbs 19, 19, it says wrath is cruel, but anger is outrageous. See, only God has a right to be angry. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says anger rests in the bosom of fools. I believe we need to cry out for repentance. I mean, we need to cry out to God for deliverance.
4: That's on the the sin basis. And, of course, you and I certainly have been doing this now for decades, and we know that giving that place— To the devil, Ephesians 4.27, the sin of anger can lead into demonic bondage of control by a demonic spirit.
5: Absolutely, absolutely, that is true. What do we do? We need to get right with God. We need to come to Jesus Christ in salvation, realize He loves us. He died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, shed His blood to pay for our sins. We need to repent of our sins, cry out to Him. And then when we come to know Jesus Christ, we need to pray and really ask God to forgive us and cleanse us from anger in our past. Sometimes it's in our bloodlines. I remember one time my son John asked me, he said, Dad, What's the biggest problem in our bloodline? I said, my son it's anger. I said, my grandfather was angry. My dad was angry. I said, I've had times of anger. He said, you sure have, Dad. And we prayed together. I remember very distinctly. We prayed together to ask God to break that bondage that came from the third and fourth generation in the area of anger and to cleanse us from the
4: power of the enemy. I nearly killed a New Haven, Indiana police officer because I was angry mm-hmm. at things he would said about my wife. That was before salvation, of course. And sure. it goes on. This anger thing seems to continue in the lives of Christians, even though they say, I know it's wrong. I've prayed about it. There must be some steps we can take.
5: Absolutely. First, confess to God, cry out to God, call upon the name of the Lord, tell him all about the anger. And then I personally have the nine fruit of the Spirit taped to my desk. Matter of fact, sometimes people will come who are not believers and take pictures of it. And they say, why do you have those up there? And I said, I have to know that I am in a position where I'm living the way God wants me to live, that I have joy, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness and self-control that's fruit of the spirit we need to be filled with the holy spirit moment by moment and then we will exercise those fruit of the spirit and anger is not a fruit of the spirit matter of fact the bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god
4: more on this with Dr. Comply's new book at Southwest Radio Church, The Great Deceiver, available at swrc.com, 1-800-652-811-44. doctor Compley, excellent. Appreciate it so much. Thank you.
5: Thank you again, Dr. Patton.
0: Today our featured resource is War of the Gods, two-volume DVD set from Derek and Sharon Gilbert. Join Derek and Sharon as they tour Israel, Jordan, and the mysterious megalithic towers of Sardinia. Order War of the Gods 2 DVD set when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can visit our online resource center, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Doug Stoffer will expose the post-tribulation hoax, So be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by downloading our SWRC mobile app, or you can subscribe to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.